You found it. It's the Japan What Podcast, coming at you out of the back end of Tokyo. The armpit of Asia. It's Shinjuku, Shinjuku Ku in the Toshihisa studio. The Japan What Podcast. My name is Matthew PMBigelow.com. It's also conveniently where you can go to get this podcast and see the finer details of the links, the pictures, and the whatnot that we put up there after the show. I'm having what you're having. Ah, I don't know what that is, but it's what you're having. It's delicious. You have very good taste, Mr. Listener, Mrs. Listener. Fantastic taste. The um, it's kafun show season here. I'm gonna talk like a gaijin. It's it's what they say in Japan is kafun show, <laughs> which is just the cedar pollen pollen allergy season. Never got it after being here for about 15 years, and then bam, it hits you hard. It's like a, a cup that overflows. Once it starts overflowing, there's no going back. And that's your nose, basically, and your throat and everything else. It's it's horribly um, it's unpleasant. Uh, I woke up at 4.30, just unable to go back to sleep because of this coffin show thing, 4.30 in the morning. When you have kids, that's pretty much wake-up time anyways for a lot of young parents. 8 p.m. is midnight, and 4.30 a.m. is just when you wake up sometimes. But I've been uh, uh, plowing through some medication, and we'll see what happens when I mix it with this thing that I'm having, which is what you're having, and you have great taste. We're going to begin today. We usually begin with a new product at the Japan What Podcast at MatthewPMBigelow.com. But a little celebration is in order for today, and it's a little celebration uh, indeed. Um, despite Japan's failing um, space systems, they recently had to blow up a rocket that they tried to launch uh, from the their own space launch station in the southern Japan there. Uh, we have better news. Koichi Wakata returns after record fifth space mission by Japanese astronaut. This is not machine translated. Japan's Koichi Wakata returned to Earth on Saturday along with three other astronauts aboard a U.S. SpaceX spacecraft following a five-month stay at the International Space Station. The 59-year-old completed his fifth space mission, a record for Japanese. The country's oldest astronaut has spent a total of more than 500 days in space. The commercial spacecraft, Crew Dragon, deployed a parachute after entering the atmosphere with Wakata, two astronauts from the U.S. agency uh, NASA, and one from Russia, <laughs> landing off the coast of Florida after 9 p.m. It had left the International Space Station earlier in the day. And, of course, the pictures of them are uh, coming out of the spacecraft, and they can't stand up, but... Uh, I'll post some of these pictures up at MatthewPMBigelow.com. You can see them wearing the new uh, astronaut. Um, it's not an exoskeleton, the spacesuits. And they're designed by Tesla and, and all of them. And they look fantastic. It looks really cool. Uh, no longer are the days of kind of the, the robot-looking uh, uh, costumes that they would wear on their spacewalks. Uh, now it's a completely different vibe, and it looks very modern. It looks more like what 2023 should look like, in my opinion. If you haven't seen some of these missions by SpaceX, the, the rockets that come back to Earth, the reusable rockets that they got going on, I really recommend watching them. They are, it's pure 
art and engineering at its finest, and you cannot let it go. The best one was when they SpaceX launched the two rockets that came back down to Earth and landed side by side to each to each other simultaneously, and that's the one where they put the uh, Tesla Roadster up into space uh, with the space guy on board with all the movie references and. You can watch a Conan the Barbarian. No, 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 not Conan. Heavy Metal, the animation, Heavy Metal from like the 70s or whatever, of the same thing where a spacecraft unleashes a roadster and it and it rotates into the atmosphere and, and the center gravitational force of a planet. And it looks exactly like what SpaceX had done. So if you think about like Elon Musk being a young kid and watching that animation, he basically found a way through science and engineering and, you know, team building and getting money to recreate that in real life. And the, on top of that, there's, there's rockets that land back down to earth simultaneously. All you got to do is uh, look up on YouTube, uh, dual rockets return SpaceX uh, Roadster or something like that, and you should be able to get it. Anyways, despite Japan's fledging um, ecosystem for its own space exploration technologies, they've been uh, they've been stumbling around, tripping over coffee tables for years now, trying to get some of these rockets up. Uh, it looks like they can just piggyback on fine American technology made by the world's richest. African-American, Elon Musk. I grew up loving space. And uh, it's interesting how that space technology gets repackaged and redelivered to us. Us plebes making, you know, 30000 to $90,000 a year. 30 days, 30 years later, it's just something that costs five bucks out of a drugstore. But a previous generation would have, um, they would have taken over the business world with it had it been, you know, had they been the only ones who had had it 30 years prior. Uh, let's begin the podcast in earnest with the new product. This one is a real doozy. And I don't have to resort to poopy ones, to poopy poopsters to get the point across that Japan has very strange products. Um, Japan gets a new Fanta for a limited time. For those who don't know, Fanta, most commonly associated with orange pop, orange soda, orange drink, the fizzy type. And this comes to us, the much-loathed Sora News 24 via japantoday.com, where we get the bulk of the articles for this website, not because we love japantoday.com, but it's just a kind of an aggregate site. You can go and hate read the comments there. The people who post there, 95% of them, total lunatics. The other 5% probably listening to this podcast and agreeing with me. However, Sora News, which is where this uh, article actually comes from, we hate this uh, company on the podcast, yet we uh, cannot stop reading them. Let's begin. Tokyo. In Japan, Fanta can come in a while. <laughs> Ugh. In Japan, Fanta can come in a wide variety of flavors, covering everything from sokata through to adult varieties. Now, for a limited time this spring, there's a new Fanta coming to stores around Japan, and it's called the Fanta Yogurusha Mellow Strawberry. As the name suggests, the star ingredient in this drink is yogurt, fizzy yogurt. 
designed to give you a rush of energy and flavor with the addition of strawberry. This is the newest addition to the Fanta Yogurusha series, which first appeared in Japan in April 2021 to rave reviews. This time, though, the formula has been tweaked to include 1.2 times more yogurt than previous versions, delivering more lactic acid bacteria than ever before for a more mellow and gentle mouthfeel. Would you like a gentle mouthfeel? Dear listener, have I got a product for you. The combination of yogurt and carbonic acid creates a milky yet refreshing beverage. And though it's aimed at people in their teens and 20s, anyone of age will get a kick out of trying the new drink, which is said to help you, quote, enjoy your new spring life at a time of year when people are moving into jobs and schools. Customers can also win special merchandise by scanning the QR code and packaging, which comes with a variety of character designs. The new 380 milliliter bottles will be on sale nationwide for a limited time of Monday at a recommended price, retail price of 160 yen. And there we go. So if you want a fizzy yogurt drink that tastes like super sweet strawberries, I readily recommend the Fanta Yogurash. And uh, go nuts. I'll post the pictures up at the website. MatthewPMBigelow.com. They're not quite as uh, pooperific as the previous products have been, but you'll get a kick out of it, I'm sure. Just this idea of a, 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 a fizzy strawberry yogurt drink. Maybe it appeals to you. Maybe it doesn't. For me, I'm going to stay away as far away as possible, unless that's what you're drinking right now. And in that case, I'm having it as well. Let's take a look at the next story. Blech. Take a look at the next. Uh, how I hate Sora News Twenty Four. What they have to just interject with the stupidest things. This is aimed at teens in their twenties, but anyone might get a kick out. <laughs> okay, um, today is a big day in the COVID era in Japan. Most people have moved on in Japan. Oh my God! It, it's just it's like a lingering cold that just you think you're over it. And it just comes back. And the people are like, oh, COVID again, COVID again. So let's begin. Coronavirus. If the Wuhan flu doesn't kill you, then media panic will. Now do whatever the government tells you to do. We got a couple of COVID stories for today. The reason why this is such a monumental day in terms of the um, COVID in Japan is that the government officially relaxed the guidelines, the suggested guidelines that people don't wear masks. Um, I was walking to the studio today, you know, about 80% of people are still masked and that's a very much indeed a record low. Um, I haven't been wearing a mask really for COVID. I, I will wear it for you know, hospital reasons or when, like if, if the cedar pollen al allergies are really hitting me hard, I'll put on a mask to go outside. But since May 2020, and I'm looking for, I might buy some champagne and say, I was right. I, you know, I took off the mask, didn't get the vaccine. I'm fine. I, I'm fine, despite, you know, the, the, the allergy season, but it's not related. It's not related. Everybody gets allergies. Not everybody. Most people get allergies after they spend a long, enough time in Japan. Um, I was right, and I enjoy being right when so many people said I was literally going to die. And then all of the death rates all over the world and people that, and nations that imposed all the, the lockdowns, the mandates, and everything else, and millions of people went out in droves to get the vaccine. Well, that's where we're seeing 
massive amounts of excess deaths, including in Japan. 1.5 million deaths last year, the highest on record. But anyways, one in four still to wear masks in Japan despite eased COVID rules. Survey. And this comes to us, I guess, yesterday, March 12th. We're recording this on March 13th. One in four people in Japan have said in a survey they will continue to wear face masks in all social settings, even after COVID-19 guidelines on face coverings are eased on Monday, citing reasons such as infection prevention and habituation. That's the main point, habituation, which is a little bit of habituation. The move to leave decisions... Oh, i got to stop doing that. It's cringy. The move to leave decisions around mask wearing to individuals is the latest effort by the Japanese government to normalize social and economic activities that have been under public health restrictions for the past three years. But the survey indicates that a drastic change in face-covering customs may not occur at any time soon. Since the novel coronavirus pandemic accelerated in early 2020, mask wearing has not been a legal requirement in Japan, but doing so has become a common practice among the Japanese public. At present, the government recommends wearing masks indoors, while not suggesting doing so outdoors. So they, you know, they just ease back a little bit, right in time for peak kafun show season. Hey, we're getting, we're at peak kafun show season, kafun show, with the allergies are hitting the country at the hardest point possible. Now's the time to take off the masks. <laughs> Isn't that everything wrong with bureaucracy and all of these decision-making policies that go into practice? It's like, we recommend wearing masks for COVID, and then everybody freaks out over COVID. So nobody, no politician or bureaucrat wants to say, let's just take them off. Because if somebody dies, the finger will get pointed at them. And everybody spends, this is the, this is the curse of living in 2023. Everybody's just trying to cover their ass, do a job they hate, go home and watch TV, and hope no one figures out how much of a lazy son of a gun they are. Uh, they're at work all day, but do they do work? Do they do work? I'm not exactly sure. The train drivers do work, sure. The people in the shops do work, I'm sure. How much work in government buildings above the fifth floor is actually work and not just make work? You ever wonder that? I sure do. Um, but yeah, now that it's peak allergy season, it's safe to take them off. More than 66% in this poll said they would decide whether to remove their masks depending on the situation, such as during meals or whether there are people nearby. I, st I still see like old men in the park, like uh, 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 9 p.m. by themselves in the corner of the park, empty park. They're wearing a mask and reading a newspaper. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> There's nobody around you for hundreds of feet. What's another one? Yeah, they've still got a lot of people in their cars by themselves wearing masks, wearing a mask. Um, what, what are some other, other? Oh, yes, this is the great one. Some person has a mask, and it's on their chin, not over their mouth and nose. And as they walk past me, they pull the mask off their chin, and they let it snap over their nose and kind of glance my way as they walk past. Yeah. That's going to, that's, you solved the COVID mystery. You are the reason why this bioweapon that was released out of China is not spreading between you and me, kind sir. And I appreciate the effort. I really do. 
When asked about their reasons for wearing a face mask in multiple response question, the largest group, 53.4%, responded that they would wear one to prevent the coronavirus infection, followed by 50.2% who saw it as a habit, and 39.2% who wanted to prevent themselves becoming infected from diseases other than the coronavirus. Yeah, I have, I, what I do, what I honestly do, I carry around a rock in my bag, and this is a rock to prevent tiger attacks inside of the city. And ever since I've had this rock in my bag, I've never once come across a violent encounter with a tiger. It's working real well. I recommend you do one as well. Like if you're in an area where there might be a tiger attack at 2 a.m., you should just get a rock, put it in your bag, and keep it there and know that that rock can be any rock in the world is likely going to prevent tiger attacks from occurring within dense urban environments. It's amazing. One respondent wrote, I think many people will choose not to remove their face masks because it has become customary after wearing them for three years. While another said, in the end, as people decide by looking at those around them, the widespread removal of masks will not make much progress. So, I, uh, with DJO, who sometimes appears on the podcast, at the beginning of the year, we made some predictions, and one of my predictions was that Hiroshima would launch a nuclear attack against um, Nagasaki, uh, because, oh no, Nagasaki would launch an attack against Hiroshima, because Hiroshima gets all the attention for being the nuclear city, and it was like a jealousy thing. Um, and then an even further far-fetched thing would be Japanese people taking off their masks. And we'll see. We still have the rest of the year to go through, but we'll, we might see a nuclear attack ahead of um, Japanese people taking off their little maskies. It's, a, it's ridiculous. It makes everybody look cheap as well when you don't need it. All these women and men wearing fancy suits with designer bags, and they have like this piece of cloth over their face. And like as we just read, they're just doing it because it's customary. Or they they, they kind of say, I'm wearing it because I want to prevent the disease and everything like that. That just shows how brainwashed everybody is. Coronavirus. If the Wuhan flu doesn't kill you, then media panic will. Now do whatever the government tells you to do. One more coronavirus news. Two lions die of COVID-19 at Japanese zoo. This comes to us from bnonews.com. Could be real. Two lions which died at Japanese at a Japanese ooh, two lions which died at Japanese zoo were infected with SARS-CoV-2, the virus which causes COVID-19 in humans. Officials disclosed on Thursday. Eight other lions were also sick but are now recovering. Adventure World, a zoo and amusement park in Shirahama, a town in Wakayama Prefecture, confirmed on Thursday that 10 lions became sick in January after contact with an infected employee. <clears throat> Two of the lions, a 19-year-old male and a 21-year-old female, died. Quote, the two which died were elderly and had underlying conditions, and it's believed they developed pneumonia after being infected, the zoo said in a statement. Eight other lions had cough symptoms but are now recovering. An employee who was in charge of taking care of the lions tested positive for coronavirus around the same time, leading to investigators to believe that the worker infected them. No other animals are currently showing symptoms, the zoo said. We will continue to monitor the condition of the animals and continue to take measures to prevent infection. SARS-CoV-2 infections have been reported in a number of animal species, though deaths are rare in large animals. 
Species affected by the coronavirus include cats, dogs, mink, otters, ferrets, lions, tigers, pumas, snow leopards, gorillas, and white-tailed deer. One of the first known cases in animals happened in April 2020 when eight big cats, including three lions, became sick with the coronavirus at the Bronx Zoo in New York City. All of them recovered. Three snow leopards died of COVID-19 at Lincoln Children's Zoo in Nebraska in November 2021. What happened just a few weeks after the deaths of another snow leopard in South Dakota? Again, I'm actually calling a little bit of BLS. This sounds like a little bit of bull sugar. The animals were old. They're in zoo. They're in a captivity environment. And uh, they catch COVID-19 apparently and then die. I don't know. This reminds me of like the, the people who went snowboarding out of helicopters into a volcano and then, it, you know, with a bomb attached to them, a suicide vest. And then, you know, they were, the forensics experts would recover a, a fingernail and they would be like, this person died of COVID-19. It's like a Leslie Nielsen sketch from, you know, one of those stupid fake cop movies, a fake cop movie, but parody police officer movies. Uh, where, you know, somebody gets shot a hundred million times. Like, yeah, it's a suicide. I'm calling bull sugar on this. Uh, B&O News, I don't know where you're from. I don't know where you're going. But you're probably hereby banned on the Japan Wood Podcast. Coronavirus. If the Wuhan flu doesn't kill you, then media panic will. Now do whatever the government tells you to do. This is time for my favorite segment ever on any podcast that's ever existed. Stupid Gadget of the Week. Stupid Gadget. S-G-O-T-W. Stupid Gadgets of the Weeks. Uh, we might have a couple of victims here, but let's just take a look at what we got going today. Brazilian reported for alleged marijuana trafficking in Japan used porch lights as signals. A joint Saitama and Guma prefectural police task force sent documents on a Brazilian national facing trial to prosecutors on March 8th, accusing him of additional offenses, including violating the Cannabis Control Act by allegedly trafficking marijuana at his home, using different colored lights on his porch to signal customers. The defendant, Matias Kenji de Souza Hashimoto, an unemployed resident of the city of Ota in Guma Prefecture, was reported to prosecutors for allegedly selling marijuana and other drugs to five male customers at his home from May to November 2022. The move by police brings their investigation into the case to a close, the Joint Task Force said. Brings their investigation into the case to a close. I said that right. Uh, this comes to us from the Mainichi.jp. It's not machine translated. The 28-year-old man reportedly admitted to the allegations and told investigators it's all true. According to police, the light on his front porch was lit blue when he was available for trafficking and red when he wasn't, because that's not suspicious. Saitama Prefectural, especially once the new word gets out, hey, this guy, yeah, just blue and green, blue and green, blue and red, blue and red. The police are like, is it red? Yeah. Is it green? Let's go. Or blue. Saitama in Japan, blue and green lights are often the same. Like they say, we say go green, go on green, stop on on red, and and hit the pedal to the metal on yellow or whatever. Uh, but it, you know, just for those who don't know, in Japan they say ao shingo, aoi shingo, meaning it's a blue blue, but it's green. But 
Aoyama is a blue mountain, and it kind of, it means green mountain. Uh, there's all these corner cross correlations between blue and green in Japanese imagery, and then I guess there's if you look at scales of colors, you know how you can go from like pink to red to all these different ones. You add green and purple and whatever, and you get all these different colors. The light spectrum on the Japanese uh, traffic lights, just rumor, rumor has it, says that the green on the Japanese light is made to be as blue as humanly possible while still remaining green. That's how seriously they take it. Anyways, that's why I'm getting it mixed up. According to police, the light on his front porch was lit blue when he was available for trafficking and red when it wasn't. Saitama Prefectural Police Drugs and Firearm Division said he contacted customers in advance via social media. Always good to leave a digital paper trail on uh, narc companies and then handed uh, over drugs at his doorstep. It is believed that he made tens of millions of yen in sales at a conservative estimate through trafficking, which he used to purchase brand name goods and cars. Yes, flash all of the illegal purchasing, you know. Yes, I'm unemployed. I have these strange lights on my house. People are coming and going all the time. And look, a Lamborghini. Approximately 87 grams of stimulants with a street value of 5 million yen, about $37,000, was also found at his home. <clears throat> and the Joint Task Force is investigating how he obtained the drugs, police said. Japanese original by Hayato Narisawa, the Saitama Bureau of the Mainichi. Thank you, Mr. Narisawa. As someone who comes from a very liberal area of the world, Vancouver Island, British Columbia, Canada, I understand marijuana culture where it is, but I never moved to Japan and try to impose it here. In fact, I just stick to liquor. I just think beer and whiskey is good enough for me. Uh, I don't really need to go around high on marijuana. I'm sure if it was legally available like it is in Thailand now and I found myself on an island and I had like a few hours of spare time, puff, 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 but I'm not exactly kind of jonesing for the weed culture over here. So I have no sympathy for people who come over to this country, break their laws, make money, and flash it around like stupid idiots. Stupid Gadget of the Week. Stupid Gadget. That's G-O-T-W. Do we need to go more into the... I got another one, I guess. We should get it out of the way. Mm, no, we're going to move on. This is interesting. We're going to move into some business. Um, the other two stories are just like, yeah, you know, whatever. Fender to open first ever flagship store in Tokyo's Harajuku area this summer. Ooh, Sora News 24. There's certainly a lot to see and do in Tokyo, and among all of its culture and cuisine are its mainly flagship stores. These large and stylish shopping facilities that serve as the focal point for a brand in any city or country could be considered landmarks in themselves. I have no idea what that just said. After join and joining their ranks is the legendary guitar maker Fender, which is setting up its first ever flagship store in Japan this summer. Although from time to time the company has set up stores around the world in the past, none will be quite like this one. For starters, as a flagship store, it looks like it's going to be huge. 
Fender will actually be moving into the Ice Cubes building, once occupied by H&M in the ultra-stylish Harajuku area of Tokyo. I was just there yesterday. It's pretty interesting. This store is planned to occupy the basement and first three floors of a total of just over 1,000 square meters of floor space, offering an unprecedented, unprecedented array of Fender instruments, equipment, accessories, and other merchandise. All right, I'm going to stop it there. Uh, I bring this up because I play Fender. I, I, I have a Fender Telecaster, and uh, I, I used to play Fender Laguna acoustic guitar. My, my dad had for me when I was, you know, learning the ins and outs of songwriting back when I was doing that. Still am in a way. Uh, and one thing that this type of store could be very useful with would be customer support because I bought my guitar online. I was looking at all these shops and I would go into shops and there'd be boxes everywhere and everyone's too busy and you don't really know what to do. And I would go online and be like, well, this one's like, it's 200 bucks cheaper for the same guitar and I can choose that it arrives at my door and da, 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 da. So I ordered, I actually ordered mine on off of Amazon, which which is not the best, I admit, but the seller on the Amazon store was a Japanese music company. So I was giving money to them and I bought a, a really nice made in Japan um, butterscotch uh, hybrid two Telecaster. I uh, really, really, really like it. I'm going to be playing a song up here in just a minute. I just decided that I recorded earlier, um, late last year, um, doing the drums when Abe got shot. Um, but it's like a vintage style guitar with modern equipment inside of it. And I couldn't figure out how to um, change the strings at first because they had these types of vintage style locking mechanisms on the guitar head. And I would try to understand how it worked and I just didn't understand. But if I could go to this Fender store and just say, to customer support, how, how does this work? And they could give a demo and I could go home and, and find it. Because, you know, you look on YouTube and it's full of, bad advice let's be honest it takes at least an hour to find what you're looking for on youtube and then you find it the audio's crap quality the person has a bad camera angle they don't even want to be there they're like i'm here to teach you about the guitar and, and then an ad comes up and then you kind of want to go back to the beginning but the beginning has like a, a too long of an intro for a demo video about how to change guitar strings like Fender YouTube channel. It's like, oh, sorry, you know, it's horrible. So I think that hopefully if the people at Fender are listening to this, uh, you could compete against the horrible um, YouTube videos out there that are giving your guitars a bad name and provide um, in-store customer service for this type of questionnaires by your um, purchasers. And that would be awesome. All right, so the track that I'm going to play here is from uh, my, for me, I did everything. I, I mic'd up the drums. I did all the recording. I did all the mastering. I did all the mixing. I did all the performances. Nobody has anything to do with this song except me. And I think it's pretty good for that. And uh, I, everything is done by hand as well. I played, you know, it's not, not a lot of just pushing buttons to input things except for the keyboard. But then you're also just, you're pressing keys and you got to figure out harmonics and stuff like that. So without further to further to do, without... For all intensive purposes, let's without further ado, let's play the song Beekeeper by me, Matthew PM Bigelow.com. Mm-hmm. 
plug here. So if you've been enjoying the content here on the Japan Wood podcast, why don't just go to MatthewPMigolo.com and enjoy the content there. There's links, there's pictures, there's some additional content. You can also go to PayPal.me forward slash Japan W-U-T. Make a donation there as well. That's PayPal.me forward slash Japan W-U-T. We're also using the podcasting 2.0 infrastructure. And with that, we have um, apps such as the Fountain app or a wide variety of apps. You can connect a Bitcoin wallet and send Bitcoin donations in the form of Satoshis directly to all of your favorite podcasters who have a little lightning mark on the icon of their podcast, which we have here at the Japan What Podcast. 
we did have some donations come in for the past couple of weeks, and I'm going to get to them now. Um, this is coming into the Albi wallet. And we got their donation from, of course, Boobery, the chief donator of the podcast, it seems. Um, we get some some streams coming in for 10, 10 sats here, 10 sats. I don't know where they're coming from. I'm not sure if I can say that. But Booberry on March 9th says, I'll drink to what you're drinking. And he makes a note. It's also nudepodcastapps.com or podcastapps.com. That's a recent new domain. And he is, of course, talking about where the listeners can get podcasting 2.0 compliant apps. I've been pushing them for the past few weeks. I really recommend them because you can get a better UI. You can support your favorite podcasters and you can bypass a lot of the advertising schemes that go on with free apps. But I, yeah, so go there. I'm using Fountain App and uh, another one that I can't remember right now. So just go there and find one you like. And that's it. All right. So MatthewPMBigelow.com, Japan what? Donations via PayPal can be paypal.me forward slash JapanWUT or just go to the website MatthewPMBigelow.com and get what you need there. All right. We're going to finish up here with a final, the finale of the show. And what a finale it is. <laughs> As my my head is reeling from... Uh, allergy medications and stuff like that. Um, let's do bugs. I'm going to eat all the bugs. Okay, you're just going to eat them one at a time, though, okay? Okay. I've got one. I've got one. I'm going to go catch that one. No, finish the one that you have in your mouth first. Weird. Uh, I got that from TikTok, by the way. This is a feature, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's called Hopping Mad. Japan's edible bug industry takes giant leap forward. When I started looking at bugs in Japan, I didn't think that the Japanese people or forces, whatever they want to be called, would be pushing this type of agenda in Japan. But they are, and it's 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 not exactly in the in in the mainstream, but it's being pushed in. You know, you open up a newspaper or you look on online newspapers. There's like a hey bugs, hey bugs. There was there's already something like whispering at the end of the day. Eat the bugs. I noticed the um, insane communist <laughs> language being used. Okay, so they're hopping mad, so it's a joke, right? Ha, 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 they're bugs. Ha, ha, the world is ending. We have to eat bugs. Ha, ha, let's make jokes. And then let's let's say it takes a giant leap forward, that communist thing by Mao that killed 60 million people or whatever it was. Japan's edible, so this comes to us from Kyoto News, the English site, not machine translated. Uh, Japan's edible insect industry is shooting for the mainstream. Major firms have begun noticing the appeal of nutritious and sustainable bug-based food, while some chefs are devising new culinary experiences for adventure-seeking diners. Blech. One business makes big, making big strides is Tokyo-based startup Takeo, Inc., which offers a variety of dried and packaged bugs, ranging from crickets to scorpions, and last year entered into the cap, a capital tie-up with frozen food giant Nichirei Corp. This is big money. Takeo CEO, Takeo Saito, said that, the contact, said that contact first came from Nichirei as the firm acknowledged the role insects could play in the future of food security. I want to interject and say this. This is like a P 
people are pushing this market trend from the fringes. And then these company CEOs are looking at the fringes to see the possible next big thing. And since this type of news bug, eating bugs, insectivorism, is being pushed by the so-called fringe, which is backed up by, you know, global corporations of all shapes and sizes, and then fed into startups to, you know, make these stupid things come true. Then these giant corporations go, oh, they have a product and it's a fringe thing and it could be big in the future. Let's invest in it. But uh, is it like, are they all tied up at the end of the day? It sounds like a giant scam, doesn't it? Right now, quote, right now the agreement is just for financial support, Saito said, adding that the two businesses are working on a jointly developed bug product to be formally announced in the summer. Saito said he eats bugs because he enjoys simple and fresh food. How often does he eat bugs, though? Something he grew up with in his hometown in Kesenuma, a fishing village in Miyagi Prefecture, northeastern Japan. Hmm. Hmm. I don't think so. I was in Kesenuma before the, 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 the massive um, earthquake uh, tsunami hit. And uh, you know what they were eating there? Um, sakura donuts, uh, coffee, uh, shark fin soup, um, okra. Like nothing. There was no bugs being eaten there. <laughs> <laughs> they always try to tie it into like local culture. Oh yeah, we, we oh yeah, with the local culture, we always eat the bugs. And then you go there and you experience the local culture, and they're like, the crazy people are eating the bugs. We we like chicken. You want a chicken steak? We can get you a chicken steak. I'm not cooking up crickets for a guest. In addition to buying online, the curious can sample Takeo's products along with some. Hot Tea, their special specialty cafe, Takenoko. Located in the capital's Taito Ward, the cafe also includes some freshly made dishes. One item that has become a big hit bullshit since its debut last October is the Silkworm Cocoon Sashimi. The dish, almost entirely composed of a protein called saracen, has a mild taste and texture that is moist but crunchy. Much like seafood sashimi, it is served with soy sauce and ginger. Oh, yeah. Let's get some silkworm cocoons for that moist and crunchy texture that we always crave for when we're like done working at the end of the day. I don't know about you, but that chicken steak over there or that maguro over there can go fuck itself. I need some silkworm cocoons and I need them now, said nobody Ever, <laughs> but it's being promoted. It's being promoted big time. Uh, I'm not eating the bugs, and I'm saying if you try to feed me the bugs, I'll just go somewhere else and get a chicken steak. And I don't, I'm not even a big chicken guy. I'll just say I'm going to get the thing that you say is the worst thing ever: chicken. And I'll say in addition to that, I'll get some beef. How about that? And it's like okay. And then I'm just like eating stuff. And it's like that's the big thing. Uh, I'm eating stuff, and now you're not making me eat bugs, and I'm eating a chicken now. It's kind of dumb, isn't it? Kind of stupid. The next one, bugs for fish. This one could make sense. I'm not exactly sure. Marubeni hopes Japan will snap up bug-based fish feed. Don't just um, fish, anyways. Fish just eat bugs, right? Are insects the answer to the fi Japanese fish farming industry is worried about soaring food costs? This is what happens. 
the food costs go up, and then suddenly you're eating bugs. It sounds like poverty, doesn't it? It's like in, in Russia, in the war, in the winter time, people would die in the streets at night, and in the mornings, their hands would be gone, and then you would have soup. The Japanese company has signed a basic agreement with Y Insect, in Yinsect, a French startup that operates insect farms raising nutrient-rich mealworm larvae to develop feed suited to fish commonly farmed in Japan like sea bream and yellowtail. Maudabeni will conduct a feasibility study and work with Yinsect on processing improvements such as extracting excess oil. It will also consider setting up a feed production facility in Japan using the startup's technology. Fish feed, which is usually soybean meal or fish meal made from wild species like sardines, accounts for 70 to 80% of costs in the aquaculture industry. Oh, so we're going to replace soybean? Well, soybean meal is probably not best for them either, right? But uh, sardines... Oh, account for 70 to 80% of costs. Rising ingredients costs and weak yen have driven up prices for both uh, types of feed in Japan, with fish meal jumping 32% last year on the previous year uh, and exacerbating the problem. Climate change and a growing population driving up demand for sardines for human consumption are expected to further cut into supplies. You know what's interesting? I've looked into the sardine overfishing problem, and a lot of it has to do with Taiwanese and Chinese shipping fleets um, furthering their operations in international waters and snagging up a lot of the sardines before the Japanese uh, fishing fleets can get to them. So it's not exactly a, a climate change thing, although everything is, you know. You have like three kids, and then your costs go up. And they're like, well, that's climate change. It's like, no, I just had more kids. Yeah, kids are climate change, and that's why there's more climate change, because you had more kids. So that's why. You're like, okay, well, you're crazy people. I'm not sure if this makes sense. It could. I'm not exactly, a, you know, if you need feed, doing it's the soybean, no, is that the best thing to feed to fish? I heard that if they eat too many soybeans, they grow tits. I'm going to eat all the bugs. Okay, you're just going to eat them one at a time, though, okay? Okay. I got one. I got one. I'm going to go catch that one. No, finish the one that you have in your mouth first. All right. Thinking about war, I wanted to get to this before I can never get to it again because I did some, some research and preparation for this, and it's just going to take me a minute to get to, but let's just do it. So now that this war in Ukraine is shifting to the war, you know, in preparation for China, social media is considered a platform to insert narratives or drive narratives or change Overton windows, as we all know. COVID was a good example of that. If you mentioned that there was a lab leak theory three years ago, you were racist. Now it's just, that's just what it is. Uh, if you were hesitant against to getting a vaccine, you were going to die and you were going to kill somebody's grandma. That's just how it was. <laughs> Even though it's all ridiculous. And now that 
we have this shift towards Taiwan, and the idea is that the war for Taiwan will kick off in 2026, 2027, when Xi Jinping's maybe fourth term is up. Xi Jinping is the leader of China, and he was just sworn in as the, do they swear them in over there? I don't know. As the, uh, for his unprecedented third term in office, a move which has not been seen since Mao, there was no um, abstainees or opposition votes to him getting a third term. All like 2,970 appointees who decide who should be the next party president, they all agreed Xi Jinping. You might need a war in 2026, 2027 to make it a fourth term and to unify China with Taiwan because they're the same thing according to them. I'm not exactly sure. But this gets me involved because I'm living in Japan and with Japan's alliance compacts with America and then South Korea as a proxy between the two, we get into a whole barrel of monkeys now, don't we? And so I've been trying to figure out why certain people are appearing in my Twitter feed more than before. And they appear and then they they go out. We all know that the intelligence agencies are using Twitter all the time, wherever they are. doesn't matter if you like them, love them, hate them, indifferent. There are intelligence agencies trying to sway ideas on social media. Even if they don't succeed at all in that plan, they still have a reputation to uphold in uh, driving public opinion. If you can drive public opinion, then you don't have to blow them up unless you're in the Middle East, in which case you just blow them up anyways because there is no opinion, right? So there's this guy, and his name is Elbridge A. Colby. And this is coming to us from the Marathon Initiative. And the document that he has authored, Mr. Colby, which a lot of the people on Twitter refer to him as, his first name is Elbridge, but he'll say something on Twitter and then all, uh, you know, people who follow him, good point, Bridge, good point, Bridge, ah, indeed, Bridge. And he was even tweeted by... um, Retired Brigadier General Robert Spaulding, who was a attache for the U.S. military in Beijing, uh, who has written books about unrestricted warfare on Chinese. And his leaked document I had used at a telecommunications company, and it was talking about the threats from Huawei. That document got into the hands of the Japanese company, Japanese government, and a couple of weeks later, Huawei was banned from Japanese backbones and infrastructure for telecommunications. Interesting how that works, right? Interesting how that works. So once I sort of see these things popping up, I've trained myself to um, identify uh, people in social media who might be working for intelligence companies at the behest of think tanks, right? Because, you know, you're in this intelligence company and then you get put into a government position and the government changes. Some think tanks liked what you did, so you go into that think tank, then another government comes in and maybe you go from the think tank back into the government, depending on the situation at the time. So like I said, to recap, uh, 
This comes to us from the Marathon Initiative. The document is called Sharing the Load. <laughs> Developing better strategies for burden sharing. <laughs> sharing the load. Hey, you, you want to share the load? The purpose of this study is to provide a strategic framework with the, which the United States can use to lead to better burden-sharing outcomes, in turn driving greater and more aligned efforts by Washington's allies and partners. So this comes to us from the idea of arming Taiwan to the teeth to prevent American soldiers from having to go in to kick a Chinese invasion out. Um, and if the idea is if, if America is providing Taiwan with weaponry, it's up to Taiwan to defend itself. It's kind of a, it's a very American way of looking at things. So I was looking at Mr. Colby um, and his background is uh, prior to entering government service, Colby was from 2014 to 17, the Robert M. Gates senior fellow at the center for a new American security and from 2010 to 2013, a principal analyst and division lead for global strategic affairs at CNA. Um, earlier in his career, he served over five years in U.S. government at the Department of Defense, Department of State, and in the intelligence community, working on a range of strategic forces, uh, WMD and intelligence reform matters, including service with uh, the Coalition Provisional Authority in Iraq in 2003. So he's deep into this thing, and he's been appearing on my Twitter a lot, and I followed him, and and he's always kind of saying, you know, we got to think about Taiwan, we got to think about Taiwan. So as this shift from Ukraine to Taiwan begins to take effect, the idea is to get Taiwan ahead of the curve, arm it to the teeth so that it's not caught flat-footed, I guess. But what kind of, it's like, we had the NATO guy, Jen Stoltenberg, uh, in Japan a few weeks ago, sniffing around for money. All these, all these Westerner type people trying to push Asia around or influence their operations to better the American perspective. It's like a, it's like you're being used as a proxy, but you're kind of being put in the position of a proxy by agreeing to all these terms to work with America or China or whatever. It's a weird business relationship, right? So I guess if, if if this podcast got picked up by Google, they might say something like, you can talk about this and you can talk about that. And I can't compete with Google's, you know, market cap. So it's, it's a similar relationship. I went into the agreement with them. Why should I then just crap all over Google if that is what I so chose to do? Um, so I've just cut out this part about Japan in this book called Sharing the, this book, this document called Sharing the Load, the Developing Better Strategies for Burden Sharing by the Marathon Initiative, written by Elbridge A. Colby. And I just went to, you know, I, I searched for Japan, and, and this is his proposed strategies to share the load. As a consequence, given Japan's primacy, uh, in the U.S. alliance system, negative or punitive approaches should likely be avoided, given that they risk damaging such an important relationship, both diplomatically and economically. Uh, you also just can't push Japanese people around like that. In light of that, 
Focus should center on positive approaches, especially direct positive approaches. Finding ways to effectively expand Japan's defense budget in real terms should be the primary line of effort, which has already been done. The Japanese government has decided to just go full in with increasing defense spending. The deduction from this is that finding ways to support or subsidize Japanese defense companies should be America's initial focus. And in the recent news articles have said that um, defense contractors working to improve Japanese defense systems will have a different way to recognize profits and things like that. This approach would bypass key Japanese subgroups near insurmountable disincentives to finance greater defense spending via corporate tax increases or unpalatable debt expansion. Basically, the reason why Japan has been very successful, one of the main reasons with its infrastructure is that it has Japanese American bases throughout the whole country. So there's not a need to spend as much on defense so you you've subsidized your whole defense spending so now you can build monorails and shinkansens and whatever this approach would bypass uh key japanese subgroups near insurmountable disincentives to pa- finance greater defense spending via corporate tax increases or unpalatable debt expansion which is what i just said effectively subsidizing their defense companies will in real terms expand japan's defense budgets additionally Undertaking a study of how Japan's defense exports might be integrated with the procurement efforts of regional allies and partners. Maybe this has to do with AUKUS, uh, the Australia-UK-US agreement. Without much potential for developing their own defense corporations, should become a US-led priority. So the whole reason I'm bringing this up is that we have this focus on conflict. And just like with the bugs thing, I didn't expect there to be so much things about bugs in Japan. I thought it would just be a one-off thing. But it's just like, no, it's, there's always like this, like this little thing coming out of like the corner of your eye. What's that? Oh, it's bugs. Oh, that's just a one-off thing. What's that? Oh, that's bugs too. Hey, bugs again. What's with all this bug stuff? And also, recently, I'm also seeing like a, what's that? Oh, war, defense, 2027, Taiwan, Japan, defense analogy says that if U.S. uses Japan as a base, it can defeat China if it invades Taiwan. And then with this as well, Mr. Colby sharing the load. Are you, do you want to share Colby's load? Um as well, it's this whole thing about using uh, Japan as an ally to subsidize defense companies. Look at it from an economic point of view. That's the way major Japanese um, you know, corporations like to look at things. The reason should be economic subsidies, profit models, and all that. Uh, and, then, uh, pu- and then push them into war <laughs> to save America. <laughs> so I want these people out. I want them out. I want... Um, I want I want there to be be more of like a mainstream conservative political backlash against this type of thinking, um, even though I guess Japan owes it in some way because they have been subsidizing their defense uh, by having all of these American bases on their land, you know. But looking at the future now, is the American military the the force it once was? I mean, the rest a lot of the world's catching up in terms of technology. We see right now, even with uh, older technology, 
Russia still has a major foothold in a foothold in Ukraine, despite Ukrainian ability to procure advanced uh, wireless weapons technologies, platforms, drones, and whatnot, all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, I don't want to be pushed into a proxy war. That's the thing. I don't want to be a foreigner living in Japan. I'm thinking about myself here. I'm being very selfish. I'm saying, hey, get the hell out of here. Uh, but I can't say that when I think about it, like from the logical point of view, Japan does have these bases on it. And if they don't increase their spending, does that mean they're less of an ally in terms of defense? I don't know. I don't like it though, but it's definitely just another example of, um, people in the information sphere pushing open or, or or pushing over an Overton window and saying, these are now acceptable. This is now acceptable. And once people say, mm, it might be acceptable, then you just wrench that open wider and wider and wider until everybody can comfortably just move through and march to war to defend America. America, fuck yeah. Let's just begin with let's do a let's do a, a nice little weird corner. Weird corner. I used to be big into the whole UFO thing. I don't know about you, but uh, I you know even looked into like the CIA what they knew. I never really find much going into this type of thing, but um, this is called the. Uh, National feature for UFO sightings putting rural Japan on community on intergalactic map. UFO sightings put rural Japan community on intergalactic map. A tiny rural community in northeastern Japan, this is coming to us from japantoday.com, known for numerous UFO sightings, is promoting itself as a home to aliens in a bid to revitalize its local economy and put off, put itself on the intergalactic map. By displaying its many pieces of UFO paraphernalia and holding events that appeal to enthusiasts, Inomachi, once prosperous through silk production and weaving industry, hopes to build a new future by drawing visitors with a passion for the extraterrestrial. I'm going to be putting a picture of um of a of a traditional Japanese staircase, stone staircase outside with a giant gray alien head next to it. It's fantastic. You got to see it. Recent headlines about airborne objects with unclear origins, including a suspected Chinese spy balloon, have created geopolitical tensions, but a Fukushima municipal government official said their focus is considering possible extraterrestrial life from a more romantic viewpoint. The area, formerly categorized as the town of Ino when integrated into the city of Fukushima in 2008, has a dwindling population of some 5,000 people. I don't like using some for about, I've decided. I, I like about, around, but some 5,000? I have some milk. I have some 5,000 milk. Sengamori, which the locals speculate is a possible ancient pyramid due to its shape and large rock formations and its surroundings, dominates the scenery. Visitors to Inomachi cannot avoid having close encounters with extraterrestrial life everywhere, including UFO-shaped sh- UFO streetlights, bus stops, flags, and even an alien statue. 
the, quote, UFO Fudeikan Museum opened halfway up the mountain in 1992 to display around 3,000 books, photos, and other resources related to aliens and UFOs, some of them donated by the famous late UFO researcher uh, Kinichi Arai. Around 30,000 people from in and out of the prefecture visit annually. A UFO festival in which participants dressed in alien costumes to take part in the parade and contest was held for the first time last year to mark the museum's 30th anniversary. And it goes on from there. It'll be linked up at the website. Uh, why not? I, it's usually kitschy and, and, and boring. <laughs> I love UFOs. I saw one, as I mentioned on a previous podcast. And uh, there's nothing better than just, you know, checking out some UFO stuff. I wonder what type of pictures they have. Uh, these days with all the deep fakes and everything, you can never really tell what's real or what's fake. But when you look at kitschy-ass UFO museums, you can immediately tell what's fake and maybe kind of scratch your balls and wonder if that one that you saw really was real. But, uh, you know, take it with you home and you forget about it. But 30 years later, you're like, yeah, that may have been a real one. I'm not exactly sure, you know. I don't believe in UFOs until it's nighttime and I've had a few beers. You've been listening to the Japan Boy Podcast. Coming at you out of the back end of Tokyo, the armpit of Asia. Thank you for listening. MatthewPMBigelow.com. And make sure you take off your masks and put them back on just in time for hay fever season. Thank you for listening. Take her easy. And we'll see you the next time. Jamatane. It's a good tuna, but I think I paid too much.